He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. It's, uh, what is today? Tuesday, Tuesday evening, and we have uh, with us... Uh, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, a common-sense Democrat, and we have a common-sense Republican, a former GOP chair of Brooklyn, uh, Craig Eaton, and we have a good friend a friend in in the studio. We have Gordon G. Chang, uh, and I usually say his Twitter address, at Gordon G. Chang. If you want to find out what's going on, make sure you put him on your Twitter. And my sidekick here, Lydia Serrani, and this is a TriCast. We're on AM 970, The Answer, WABC 770, and on WLIR. Uh, tell us, Lydia, where are we? We have a great show for everyone today. In addition to, of course, Gordon Chang, we are going to have Professor Alan Dershowitz, Roger Stone, Steve Forbes. Also an update from the NYPD regarding that serial homeless shooter. They do have a person in custody. And Steve Forbes, he's going to tell us all about the market. It went up 600 points. And what the heck is going on, as John Katzmatidis would say. But first, let's go to Gordon Chang, because we do have some breaking news. The important thing, Lydia, is that... Breaking news, WABC. (laughs) Now I feel better. Now. Sorry, we didn't mean to scare you, Gordon. Give us the breaking news. The important thing is that in Ukraine, you have the prime ministers of the Czech Republic... Poland and Slovenia in Kiev. They arrived Tuesday night, Ukraine time. Um, they are there to show their solidarity. The EU is fully behind uh, Ukraine. And the contrast, of course, is that our president, Joe Biden, slow Joe, is going to eventually make it to Brussels. That's going to be next Thursday for the NATO meeting. The NATO meeting will be important, but it's going to be very, very late considering the events that are occurring on the ground. Gordon Chang, are you trying to say that Kamala Harris didn't have much of an effect? Uh, she did have <laughs> a lot of effect, but it wasn't good. I think that. Uh, <laughs> and and by the way, I'm neither a Republican nor a Democrat, so I'm in the You're middle. You're the common of sense this. independent. That's Gordon Chang. I said common sense independent. I'm I'm independent as well. Oh, good. There's, there's I'm two a of middle of the road person. Yeah, you are. Well. The issue here, though, is that we needed strong leadership, and she did not provide it. Um, and, you know, we saw this, for instance, in uh, her trip to Guatemala, uh, Central America, where she should have been been able to answer questions about what was going on. She wasn't able to do it there. She had troubles, of course, in her European trip, uh, not even hearing the questions and answering things which were different. Um, but we do need strong American leadership right now, largely because the Russians are making these advances. They're shelling civilians. The situation is becoming critical. And although the uh, uh, Ukrainian people have been heroic, there's a limit to what they can do without strong NATO and American support. Some of the NATO nations along the, the uh, Russian coast, uh, I've been told by some of our, our friends that are there. We, I know Governor Pataki is there and uh, some other friends. Uh, John McLaughlin, and, and uh, they tell me that some of those NATO presidents or prime ministers are scared that if Russia attacks them, that they're not going to be backed up by the U.S. You know, that to me is just incomprehensible because they are NATO members. We have uh, obligation, Article 5 of the NATO treaty, to defend them. And I think that shows the failure of American leadership right now. You know, if we step back and look, for instance, the middle of February, 
we were warning the Russians not to do this. Remember, it was not just the United States. Our economy is 13.5 times the size of Russia's. The 27 uh, nations of the EU, their economy is 10.1 times the size of Russia. Great Britain, twice the size of Russia's economy. That's more than 25% times bigger. And yet Russia invaded. So this is really the biggest failure of deterrence that we have seen, of course, in our lifetimes and maybe in American history altogether. Now, what do you hear of what's going on between Russia and uh, Iran and the negotiations with the United States? And is Israel afraid that we won't back them up? I'm sure that that is what Israel is afraid of, because in, in the Trump years, you had a very strong relationship between Jerusalem and Washington. Um, Biden is very much uh, backing away from that. And I think Israel is indeed concerned. Um, you know, Biden at this particular time wants a follow on to the 2014-2015 Iran nuclear deal. Um, which fell apart um, because Iran was actually violating it and Trump called them on it. You know, this is the first time in the history of my lifetime we've seen in the United States call on another country for violating an agreement. That was a great thing. Um, it, to me, it's just unbelievable that we are trying to put together another deal with Iran, which hates the United States and which, by the way, two, three days ago, they, they used that missile barrage that hit Erbil, that was just within very close distance of our consulate there. So clearly, you know, Iran, um, this is in the DNA of the regime, is hates the U.S. Why we're trying to come to accommodation with it, especially at this no, time. You can understand just, no, it's patholo- I think it's pathological conduct. Why do you expect a different result? You give them the money, they'll fund terrorism. You give them the money, you make them independent from from sanctions. You give them the money, and they undermine legitimate uh, regimes all over the world. Why would we ever think about doing this? I have no answer to that question. I mean, even if one thought that a follow-on deal with Tehran was a good idea, this is not the time to do it because in order to put that deal together, you have to aid Russia because Russia will be a part of that relationship. I think it's a bad idea, full stop, but certainly at this particular time, it's it just um, indescribable, undescribable. Yeah, the, uh, Gordon, you're, you're here for us for the entire hour, and we'll continue this conversation. Uh, meanwhile, I understand we got uh, Roger Stone on, and I was on listening to the radio with uh, Frank Morano at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. I lose track of time. The other side of midnight the from 1 a.m. until 5 a.m. Great show. Number one show overnight and, across uh, the country. Roger was on, and he had some very interesting uh, things to say about January 6th. And he had very he has a new book, and he had some interesting things to say. Um, Roger Stone, are you there? John, always great to be back with you. Tell us about uh, uh, January 6th and what you feel uh uh, went wrong there, and and I uh, also want to hear about uh, uh, that uh, police officer that uh, they're trying to throw off the force because he's a friend of yours. Uh, and his name is what is it, Sal Greco of Staten Island? Staten, yes, Sal Greco. That's that's exactly right. Well, I was shocked last Sunday morning to wake up to a four-page story in the Washington Post, uh, and I learned to my surprise that I'm the mastermind of the January sixth. Uh, insurrection, since I know nothing about it, don't condone it, uh, wasn't there. I mean, this is one of the greatest exercises in guilt by association, conjecture, supposition, projection, innuendo, half-truth, 
mean, it's true Washington Post is what they excel at. Uh, just to be clear, any, any uh, insinuation, claim, implication that I was involved in any way or thought this was a good idea is categorically false. And if anybody will flatly just say that, I'll sue them. They Roger, say that they just try to imply it. Roger, let me ask you. I mean, I, I haven't seen all the videos, and, and and I think it was wrong for those people to enter it. But I understand from several sources, and I haven't seen the videos. Maybe Gordon has seen them. I understand nobody broke down those doors. I, I understand the Capitol Police opened those doors, and people went in. And uh, out of the ten, tens of thousands of people out there, maybe it was a couple hundred, two, three hundred. Well, what, what say you? I think there's overwhelming evidence that this was a setup. Uh, I think there's there is no question that there were multiple FBI agitators and provocateurs in the crowd. But John, we went there for the legal purpose of getting a 10-day delay in the certification of Biden's election. But you so didn't have any election, intent. You didn't have any intent of going into the uh, Capitol. It was counterproductive. It destroyed our goal. We were looking for a peaceful settlement in which you would get a 10-day delay so we could examine the voter irregularities and anomalies in Michigan, wow. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. You, you were looking for protest, and you were protesting, and you were urging them uh, to have a 10-day delay. But you, I don't think the, anybody you know actually wanted to break into the Capitol? Not a single person. It's, it's Gordon, a have you heard anything about the, that, uh, that action at all? Uh, no, I, I have nothing about I it before the fact. And I know nothing about it now. I but mean, by President Trump offered 10,000 troops and they didn't take it. Why right. did they but offer it? Why did Nancy Pelosi, who runs the Capitol Police, didn't take the, the offer of 10,000 police officers? Because I think there was a willful attempt here to create a crisis in which now we claim that constitutionally protected free speech and constitutionally protected political activity is somehow criminal, that it's that it's seditious, that it's treasonous. In 2016, Hillary Clinton and her campaign manager, John Podesta, wanted to delay the Electoral College certification of Donald Trump. They asked to make a presentation to the Electoral College electors gathered in Washington. Nobody jumped up and down and said, that's insurrection, that's illegal, uh, that's treasonous. It was a bad idea. It didn't happen, but they most definitely proposed it. I know which, when there was which, going to be a caravan a couple of weeks ago on January 6th of uh, truckers coming in from California. Did they order in 10,000? Uh, uh, they put uh, up a fence. Guard? They put up a fence. They sure did uh, beef up that security. Yeah, I mostly, a, most of PR moved because mm-hmm. to my knowledge, none of the truckers Nothing happened, in Canada right. were violent. None Nothing. of the, none of the truckers here in the United States were violent, but uh, peaceful protest is guaranteed by the constitution. You're allowed to do that. It's it's part of free speech. But now we're trying to criminalize anybody who speaks out against the current regime. But I understand they did the same thing to these people that went into the Capitol. And I understand my friends of mine had said to me that the Capitol Police, nobody broke down the doors. The Capitol Police opened the doors. From the inside. They're massive doors and they can only be opened electronically from inside. I mean, I don't, I don't understand, and they were, and I was told that they were welcomed in. Let me, uh, Gordon, uh, 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 give me a second, Roger. Gordon, have you heard anything about this? Oh, I don't follow domestic politics, but mm-hmm. no, I, I agree. 
I mean, I saw the video of the Capitol Police um, opening the barricades I saw to it. protesters yeah. in front of the Capitol. I mean, it was wrong to go in, but the people that went in, I, I don't know. Maybe they thought they, they, they yeah, but Capitol it's, Police opening the doors. It's, yeah. it's, it's worse. Judge, it's worse than that. But more, it's worse but more than troubling that. You have the, what's more troubling is you have the cold-blooded murder of two unarmed women who were menacing no one. They weren't warned. One of them was bludgeoned to death after being sprayed with mace by a Capitol Hill police officer. The other one, Ashley Babbitt, a decorated Air Force veteran. Both these women, unarmed, by the way, uh, was shot dead. Now they, we're they didn't have any weapons. Why, why did they shoot them? As, as heroes. Why did they shoot them? No, it's, it's, but the, the double standard. Richard Weinberg. The double standard is absolutely awful. So, for example, there's still people sitting in jails in Washington, D.C., on this on this matter, it, you had you had the whole summer of solitary confinement. Right, you had the whole summer of rioting with BLM and Antifa, and they got away with it. They destroyed hundreds of millions and billions of dollars worth of property. They took over police stations. They took over whole sections of cities. They destroyed cities. You had a war against yeah two tier justice system. One right. for the a right two, and one for the left. A double standard. It's absolutely awful. And nobody's saying anything about those poor Roger, people. Roger Stone, I want to get your a quick question in because I know we're running out of time here. The Washington Post, it's become basically propaganda now for the left, for the Biden administration. They're now coming after you, claiming that the, some Danish photographers caught you saying something uh, derogatory about Trump. I want to play the 10-second clip that they claim you are talking about Trump, and I want to get your response. I'm done with this president. I'm, support, I'm going to go public supporting impeachment. I have no choice. He has to go. He has to go. Run again. You'll get your brains beat in. Roger, now, where did you hear the word Trump? Did you hear the word Trump anyplace? I didn't. I did not. Uh, by the way, it, it doesn't lend itself to radio. If you see the video, you can't see me. You can't see my mouth moving. This is what they call a deep fake. Uh, there's no truth. It's not even logical. I was ready to do seven and nine rather than bear false witness against the president I love and have loved for 40 years. So why would I be angry at him? Uh, this this is an attempt to drive a wedge. By the way, as we speak, I'm on my way to Mar-a-Lago to see the president. So uh, I do want to touch on the subject John raised, which is Salvatore Greco. Yes, and we have uh, Professor Dershowitz coming on after this, and we're going to ask him about Salvatore Greco. Tell us about Salvatore Greco. Uh, He is a 14-year veteran of the New York Police Department. He has been assigned to the graveyard shift in some of the most undesirable and dangerous uh, precincts in New York, in Manhattan, in in Queens, in Brooklyn, in the Bronx. Uh, He took vacation days and was in Washington, D.C. on the 4th and on the 5th and 6th. He was not at the Capitol. He knows nothing about the assault on the Capitol. Uh, He is now under investigation and being threatened with termination by the NYPD. The charges are that he consorted with me, a known convicted felon. Well, your mayor, Eric Adams, says in his book that he, as a police captain, provided security for Mike Tyson when he was a convicted felon. Do we have one standard or two? By the way, the mayor seems to like felons, hangs out with them quite a bit from what I can read in the tabloids. Second issue, that Sal Greco provided security for me. Well, one, moonlighting is perfectly legal. Number two, as an officer, he's allowed to carry a gun and badge, although he never provided security for me. His role in Washington, friend, friend of the family. By the way, his family was in the food business for many years. One of their best customers, Gristides. 
These people are fine people. This guy's going to lose his 14-year pension and be terminated simply because he supported Donald Trump, simply because he's a friend of mine, and the NYPD will get sued for $25 million. I hope the mayor's ready to testify. Well, we're going to talk to Alan Dershowitz, who's on next. Roger Stone, thank you for coming on. Thank you for telling your people the truth. God bless you, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Let's take a break. And we're going to come back with uh, Professor Dershowitz. Dershowitz. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katzimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzimatidis Cats at Night show on the line for us right now is the number one constitutional scholar in the country, esteemed attorney, Professor Alan Dershowitz, just 50 years at Harvard Law School, but a Brooklyn boy at heart. And he's with us every Tuesday here at WABC Radio. Hello, Professor Dershowitz. Hey, how are you? I have a new hero. Um, my new hero is uh, Marina Opskaya Yanakova. You know who she is? She's the woman who ran out in front of the television cameras in Russia and said the war is terrible and Putin's terrible. And now they're trying to find her and maybe put her in jail. Um, she's my hero. I was interviewed by her a couple of times on wow. Russian television. I spoke to her off camera. And she is a hell of a woman. And uh, and we ought to all stand behind her and make sure she doesn't end up in some gulag uh, because she uh, uh, contradicted Putin and was, was 100% right. That was brave of her. They have a fi- Alan, they have a 15-year term for that. I know. It's called, it's, it's called fake news. Imagine how many, how many other, how many Americans would be in jail if there were a crime here for delivering. How many fake newspaper news? publishers? Oh my God, <laughs> newspaper publishers. Yeah, where, where, yeah. where are we going to first, uh, Professor? I mean, we had Roger Stone and his, one of his friends, a police officer in New York, uh, that like- that's just a friend of his. They're trying to throw him off the force. His name is Sal Greco. Uh, because uh, he was associating uh, with uh, just because he's friends Stone. with Roger Stone, yeah. Now, is oh, that before pardon or after pardon? Was he pardoned before? Or you after? want you want your pilot to be the best pilot in the world, your surgeon to be the best surgeon in the world, and you want your police officers to be highly qualified, not to be picked based on politics or who they associate with or anything uh, like that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're just moving in, in the wrong direction on the on issues uh, of crime as well. The New York Times recently, for three days, it had three stories of crimes. The first story was a knifing at MoMA, a Museum of Modern Art. And in that case, they identified the assailant as white. The second case involved the, sh- the shooting of homeless people. And the person who did it was black, but they didn't identify him as black. And then just today... The Times had a story about a man who punched somebody, an Asian person, 125 times as a hate crime. And again, they did not identify the the person by by race. And so the question that I've asked on my show is when is race relevant to the media? It's obviously relevant if a person's a fugitive and you want to identify him. You identify him by height, by weight, by gender, by race. But if that's not the issue... Should there be a different standard depending on the race of the person? I think that's an interesting issue, and it needs to be discussed Professor more. Professor Dershowitz, as, as somebody yeah. who worked in newsrooms for 20 years, this is a question I always asked. We're giving out the description yeah. of the suspect, saying what color shirt they're wearing, their haircut, but we were not allowed to say the race of the suspect. 
But the race yeah. is only relevant when it's involved with a police officer. Well, or it the, involves the, a white person. That's the only time. Yeah, when, when a white police officer, but, the but race it, is always important. But the videos of that that guy beating up that woman in Yonkers, the videos yeah, all over the news. It makes it clear. Yeah, it makes it very yeah, it clear. It makes it clear. Yeah. But, you know, still, I mean, the, 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 the issue is whether or not you have a single standard or a different standard. I think it's a hard I think it's a hard question. Look, we know that uh, African-Americans are discriminated against by the legal system. We also, they're, they're more likely to be stopped, more likely to be arrested. But when you get crimes like the anti-Asian hate crimes, a very significant number of them in New York have been committed by African-American people. Uh, you don't generalize about that. It's only the particular bad person that should be criticized. But when you have a hate crime, I don't know. Maybe race is relevant. It's certainly, the race of the victim is relevant. So, is the race of the assailant? Well, we we have an Asian American in the studio, but I'm not sure I can call you Asian. I mean, you look Chinese, but you're an American citizen, and you were born here. But I don't even. So, think what do I call you, Gordon? I don't. Gordon J. Gordon. That's yeah, right. That's Gordon. Just an American. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that clearly um, Asian Americans and Chinese Americans have gone too far. And we've seen this because every time that an Asian American or a Chinese American is a victim, it automatically becomes a hate crime. In some cases, yeah. it very well may be, but I'm not so sure that you can put all these together in one lump. And the one other thing about this, John, which really bothers me, and that is that the Communist Party of China in its Open propaganda says that you can't criticize the Communist Party of China because that will trigger anti-Asian hate in the United States. And this is a narrative the Biden administration has actually accepted, especially when they stopped their China initiative of the Justice Department. This seems to me to be wrong. I, I like I the Chinese that. people. I think they're terrific people. I think I they're too. very smart people. And, and I, 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 I went so to Brooklyn Tech. Well, I went to Brooklyn Tech High School, and a large portion of the school was Asian. And uh, look, there's nothing, wrong, there's nothing wrong with being smart. I think people should just yeah. be judged simply on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I don't care what color you are. If you're a jerk, you're a Agreed. jerk. Agreed. Professor Dershowitz, but do you really feel that African-Americans are being discriminated against by anybody? Or is it more of like a socioeconomic issue as to why we are seeing so many more black people in prison and being arrested by the police? Because I, I feel that that's more of a factor than the color of someone's skin? Well, there are some experiments that show if you have people driving in a highway with equal cars, cars that look fine, and, and there's no difference. Um, a study was done, and it showed that you're more likely to be stopped if you're uh, African-American. Now, uh, whether that also uh, applies to prosecution and successful conviction, these are very, very hard issues to discern because when you combine two facts, one that there may be discriminatory application of the law, and second, there may be more crimes of a certain kind committed based on race, it's very hard to distinguish which is which. And so I think we have to try to be as colorblind as possible, try to be as racially neutral as possible, and try to be as understanding. And of course, poverty is going to contribute to crime. You know, the, I have a great book I keep in my library, it's the 1886 List of Criminals in New York. Who do you think they were in 1886? They were Jews, Irish Americans, Italian Americans, Greek Americans. They were the immigrants. And because they were poor, and a lot of them came just males, not females, and they had a higher rate of crime than other people. So socioeconomics clearly contributes to crime. Professor, I hear you have a heart out. Uh, are you... I do, yes. I have my own show. I have the, the Durst Show on Rumble. It starts at 530. I don't want to 
I don't okay, want to we're going to let you go, but we'll continue. Right now, uh, we'll continue this conversation later on uh, this week. Let's go. Thank you. Um, let's go. Let's go back to Gordon Chang. Gordon, let's the, resume our conversation. Yeah, the issue, you know, Professor Dershowitz talked about colorblind. Well, you have admissions into Ivy League schools. Um, Asian Americans have a quota. Um, many of them don't get in, although they're qualified. Um, this really is an important issue when you start looking at affirmative action and many of the other issues that deal with race. Judge? I think, uh, I think Martin Luther King had exactly right. Lydia quoted him correctly. People should be judged by the content of the character, and I'd say by their ability. We shouldn't have quotas for any positions. I think uh, notwithstanding whatever qualifications the nominee, Judge Jackson, has to be on the Supreme Court of the United States, I think what uh, the president did was absolutely awful, saying he's only going to consider an African-American woman. I think that's terrible. How yeah. about just getting I the best wrong. person? And we got to talk later on on uh, that person being withdrawn from the Fed or she withdrew. Uh, on the phone with us is Susan Birnbaum. She is CEO of the uh, uh, Police New York Police Foundation. And there was some big news today. Uh, Susan Birnbaum, tell us the news to all New Yorkers. Hi, Don. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I haven't seen you um, in hours. <laughs> yeah, you had a great lunch today at PAL. Congratulations. Lots of people there to support the, the great work you're doing, uh, bringing police and communities together. And so congratulations. I thought it was excellent. Susan Birnbaum, once again, the police really outdid themselves. A good old-fashioned police work. They caught that MoMA stabber, and they also caught that man that shot five people, two of them fatally in D.C., as well as here in New York City, the homeless people. Tell us about the police and just the dedication that goes into every single case that they take on. Well, you know, we have the best detectives in the world in New York, and we're very lucky. Um, Today's press conference really centered around the fact that law enforcement partners are working so closely together to solve these crimes. And so, as you know, between March 3rd and March 12th, five homeless individuals were shot, two of them fatally. And when the Metropolitan Police Department they were shot in D.C. and in New York. And what the Metropolitan Police Department realized that this was the same person. Uh, the NYPD and the MPD joined forces uh, to do a press conference yesterday to share photos through surveillance video. And we combined rewards through Crime Stoppers and Crime Solvers um, to uh, the public to help us identify the suspect and they would be rewarded through the tip lines if they were able to identify the suspect. And today's announcement was uh, the great news what the, is that they did, with the public's help, identify a suspect in association with the two homicides and the three shootings that took place in D.C. and in New York. Right. It was a uh, $70,000 reward. Now, how did the police even get those photos? That had to be a lot of work. That, that took yep. to, to get to get such detailed photos and following him. I mean, it's incredible. People, people don't realize just how sophisticated cops have to be in order to track down individuals like this. I know it's amazing. And it's because of their uh, the collaboration between the different police departments that they were able to go to people, get photos, get them circulated on the news um, and um really get the public to say, take a good look at these. We have surveillance video from Penn Station. We have surveillance video from D.C. 
anybody who can get a good look at these photos calling your tips and that's what happened and it, it just highlights the work that the public is helping to identify subject their location and their name that led to being able to to pick up the suspect is seventy thousand dollars a record amount for a reward you know that's a good question i'm not sure but this was a combination of uh three different uh organizations that that pooled together uh this this amount because it was in different locations well, I don't mind putting up rewards if we can we can get bad criminals like that and put them away and throw the key away. Absolutely, John. I agree. It's great if we can get the reward amounts up. You know, we usually have guidelines for for Crime Stopper rewards, but this particular instance, uh, you know, we had a number of different um, uh, organizations and um, uh, cities pitching in for the reward so we were able to really get that reward up to that level. But you know, we um, really have we have the best police department here and we were on the we were on the radio with the chief of detectives a few weeks ago and and a few weeks ago they had two major arrests as well and those were very quick within 24 hours they arrested those violent criminals. So, I mean, today and a few weeks ago, I mean, they're doing a great job. Yeah. I I mean, the thing is the tip line is totally anonymous. It really supports the detectives in their work. And they can they can move things very very quickly once the public helps them to identify someone, uh, and and can really lead them to to the location of the person too. Right, and that suspect's name is thirty uh, year old Gerald Brevard. ATF agents took him into custody he, in Washington. He, it's first of all, it's ATF, so they're not going to let him go home so fast mm-hmm. because that's a federal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yep. uh, is the NYPD working closer with the federal uh, uh, government that way uh, they don't have to abide by the bail law? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but in this particular situation, they were working also with ATF and, and D.C. So, and where is the person um, in jail, in Washington or New York? Washington. Yes, in Washington. Well, He's in Washington. They did a great job, both both uh, police departments. Susan Birnbaum, yeah, thank you for all the work you do in Police Foundation. And anytime you need help from uh, from us, you let us know, and we'll be there for you. Thank you. You're a great supporter, and we're grateful to you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Let's take a break, and when we come back. When we come back, we'll be talking more with uh, with Gordon Chang. Sounds good. You talk, we listen. This is Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC, traffic and transit. In New Jersey, Edison, we have Parsonage Road northbound between Meadowbrook Road and Route 27 closed due to construction emergency repairs. In Union, an accident uh, blocking the right lane I-278, New Jersey locals eastbound approaching exit 52, the Garden State Parkway. Checking the bridges and tunnels, GWB inbound upper. Earlier emergency maintenance on the New York side is now cleared. Lower okay, outbound heavy. Lincoln inbound okay, outbound 20 to 30 minute delays. Holland inbound okay from the turnpike. 5 to 10 from Route 1 and 9 outbound 30 to 40 minute delays. I'm Bob Brown with your 77 WABC traffic and transit update. John Katz and Matisse, 77 WABC. 
Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. I'm, I'm thinking back to Susan Birnbaum's uh, conversation. She was the head of the New York Police Association. And it just goes to show that police, police officers, foundation. police foundation, it just goes to show that cops will work around the clock, even, you know, for homeless people, because we often think like, oh, who cares about them? But they are people, too. And their their lives matter. And they deserve as much respect as any other person. And it's un, it's Look, so sad you, what you happens. Know what I said about the bail law in uh, in New York. Uh, we have eight and a half million people that deserve to be safe. And we have maybe 3,000, 4,000 criminals. I'm talking about hardcore criminals. That people that, that if you took them off the streets, then New Yorkers, the eight and a half million New Yorkers will feel safe. Right. I mean, at what point do you throw the key away? It used to be three strikes and you're out. Is it four? Is it 10 strikes and you're out? Is it 14 strikes in Well, Andrew Stewart Cousins says you're making it all up. Oh, We're that's making a lot it all of crap. Up. The most dangerous woman in the state of New York. She's totally <laughs> stopping any kind Greg of reform. Yeah, but you know, John, on your but point, Gordon, 5%, 5% of the residents of the city of New York commit 85% of the heinous crimes. That's a fact. 5%. So if we take those 5% off the streets. No, no, no. It's not 5%. It's less than that. I yeah, think it's three, 4,000. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's well, one tenth of one percent. I'm just being conservative, but you know we have the new anti-crime. Five percent of eight million is uh, four hundred thousand. What is it? Five hundred thousand? Four hundred thousand? It's not four hundred thousand. But there's the first wave of NYPD's anti-gun units hit the streets yesterday. 168 cops spread out around the city. That was what uh, uh, Mayor Eric Adams said he was going to do. He's going to bring back the anti-crime unit. It's a little bit different than what we had before, because these aren't undercover. They're going to be wearing shirts that show NYPD, but it, it's a start. And I, you know, I it's a start. Him. I credit him with that. At least he's trying. He's At least Eric hard. Adams is trying. I think Gordon he's trying. Uh, Chang, you live in New Jersey. Is that correct? Certainly, Bedminster. You feel you feel safer. I do. Um, you know, it used to be go back three, four years. I felt very safe in New York, and then, of course, with the events that we've been talking about. No, he didn't feel safe at all. Um, now I think maybe getting back a little bit better, but uh, still, I, I feel much better at home. I know what you mean. I go out sometimes, and uh, I spend a lot of time out in Long Island. I have a home in, uh, in on the beach in the Hamptons, and and it's um, it's beautiful out there. So, but if you listen to the Democratic talking points, okay, because that's what they're—it's the Iron Pipeline, it's COVID, it's racism, it's Trump—that we're seeing all of this. Well, this November, Lydia, this November, uh, New Yorkers, common sense Democrats and common sense Republicans and common sense independents. How do you say it? Yeah, they are. They are, they are mad as hell and they don't want to take it we're anymore. Mad as hell and we don't want to take it anymore. But don't forget you have the primaries on June 28th in New York and you want to make sure you vote for common sense people in the primaries as well. Before you vote for anybody, make sure they (laughs) make sure you ask the assembly people, uh, make sure you ask the state senators that are running that you want safe streets. Tell them that. You know, we have the number one, I would say, I'm not just saying this because you're in the studio with us, Gordon Chang. You, when it comes to China, nobody is a better policy expert. Nobody knows. I want to hear more about China. Exactly. They're wishy washy. Uh, with, with, with Ukraine. about China. Are we forcing uh, Russia to be partners with China? Well, our sanctions on Russia, um, taking them out of SWIFT, the bank messaging system, also freezing their dollar accounts, have been pushing uh, the Russians into the Chinese equivalents. 
So China has a SWIFT equivalent called SIPS, the cross-border interbank payment system. But we really don't have a choice right now. We've got to do something about Russia. And because Biden has taken force off the table, that leaves sanctions. So there's, you know, even though we're driving Russia uh, closer to China, this is something that we have to do because the invasion of Ukraine cannot stand. The Russians have attacked Ukraine, but what they really have done, John, they've attacked civilization. Now, if Russia wanted to sell energy to China, is that even possible? Do they even have the pipeline to to do it? They have pipelines, but they're going to be building more. So on February 4th, when China and Russia announced their no limits partnership in that 5000 word communique, they also announced one hundred and seventeen point five billion dollars in new oil and gas deals. And essentially, all those those deals won't come into stream, let's say, two years from now. But nonetheless, it shows that China is symbolically supporting Russia. And since that time, there have been the announcement of more commodity deals, which will put money into Putin's pocket immediately. Wow. And what about the covid lockdowns? I see still some of those videos, people wearing hazmat suits everywhere they go. China right now is being ripped by the Omicron variant. Um, so, for instance, you have Shenzhen, which is that big city that's uh, near Hong Kong. That's on lockdown. You have Shanghai. Parts of that are locked down. But all across the country, Lydia, um, Omicron right now is closing down China. This is going to have all sorts of effects, especially on the economy, because when your factory is closed, and matter of fact, a lot of those American factories in Shenzhen, they're closed now, Um You're not producing. So China, which already had a soft economy, is going to get even softer. And if they have a soft economy, we're going to have a soft economy. We take a lot of uh, imports from China. So and we're already struggling now with these high gas prices. What what did you say? Bert Flickinger talked yesterday. He's a leading expert when it comes to food and and consumer products. And he was saying that at one point to truck what was a truck of cabbage was four thousand. No, 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 no. A a, a trailer load of lettuce from California. It used to be $5,000 for a truck to bring it from California to New York, Hunts Point Market. It's now 14000 Yeah, and that mirrors, for instance, container rates. If you go back about you know, 18 months or so, uh, you'd have, let's say, four to $5,000 for a container to cross the Pacific. Now, depending on the time, it can be anywhere between sixteen dollars to $25,000. So that means that a lot of products that are stuck in China really can't be brought into the U.S. because they're too expensive. Sofas, for instance. You can only put about 40 sofas into uh, – 20 sofas into a 40-foot container. And that means when you start to do the arithmetic that the cost of landing a sofa in the U.S. is about three or four times the price you can sell it. Wow. There was an article in the Washington Post, Gordon, about the United States warning China not to assist Russia. What do you know about this? Well, yeah, Jake Sullivan, our national security advisor, met with young Josh Schur, China's top diplomat, yesterday in Rome for what was described as an intense seven-hour meeting. Um, Basically, what China has done in the last couple days is signal to everyone that they're willing to assist Russia with military and economic aid. And that means that um, China really is a combatant. But we already knew that because not only were they financing the uh, sale of, of commodities, you, you also have all these things. These Chinese diplomats are propagating Chinese uh, Russian narratives. China's propaganda machine is amplifying these ludicrous stories from Russia. So this is Beijing being full in um, behind Vladimir Putin. And what about this threat? What does it mean? You want him not to assist the China? What is, what well, is it, yeah, where's yeah. the sanction there? 
Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the Chinese just listen to this and say, well, we've heard this before. You know, the Biden administration is really not going to impose any costs on us. So when Jake Sullivan says we are concerned, quote unquote, which is what he said a couple times, you know, the Chinese say, yeah, we've heard it. Unfortunately, we have taught the Chinese to ignore our warnings because over the course of decades, we tell them what they must do. We tell them we're going to sanction them and we never do or rarely do it. I mean, there's a genocide happening as we speak right now in China with the Uyghur Muslims. And what has the Biden administration done about it, Gordon Chang? Extremely little. The only thing that they have done is when Congress passed the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, um, President Biden signed it. But he was lobbying against it when it was going through Congress. And and Biden only signed it because it passed both houses of Congress with veto-proof majorities. So he had no choice about that. But he did lobby against that bill. And by the way, so did Apple. And this means that these big companies are trying to take advantage of forced and slave labor. As because, I hide my uh, iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> and mine as well. Well, uh Anything – does the Pacific Pact among countries, Australia, Japan, exist, the one that Trump tried to put into uh, yeah. what effect? We, what we have are, are a couple of things. First of all, there's something called the Quad, which is not a formal alliance, but um, India, Japan, Australia, and the United States are cooperating, and we're starting to operationalize that uh, grouping. Also, um, Biden put together um, what really is uh, the beginnings of a military pact called AUKUS, that is United Kingdom, Australia, and the United States. Um, The first task of AUKUS is to provide uh, nuclear-powered submarines to Australia. Uh, China is really upset about this, um, but this pact helps to solidify a very dangerous region, John. Gordon G. Chang, one last question. Do you think Putin would have invaded Russia if Trump was still in office? I I don't think so. Um, Well, we know that, for instance, that uh, Putin broke apart Georgia when George W. Bush was president. He munched on Crimea and the Donbass when Obama was president. Four years of Trump, nothing happens. Biden becomes president, full-scale invasion of Ukraine. This is the greatest failure of American foreign policy in my lifetime, and maybe going back to the beginning of the republic because we were so much stronger than Russia, and yet Russia invaded anyway. What did Bill, Bill Gates say, John? Uh, Secretary Gates, mm-hmm. he served eight presidents and eight administrations, and he said in his eight administrations uh, uh, that uh, President Biden has not made the right international move yet. There you have it. Well, we well, let's take a break. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we come back with Steve Forbes. And the market went up 600 points today. Is it over? Is the market going to go up? Let's take the break. There's never a dull moment here. New York's talk station. This is Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Cats, Cats at Night, we're back. And uh, the market, the market went up 600 points today. What is that telling us? And with us today is one of the uh, country's top economists we have with us, Steve Forbes. Uh, Steve, how are you today? I'm doing very well, John, and yourself. I, I am well. I mean, I noticed the market went up 600 points. Is the market telling us that the Ukraine-Russia thing is going to be all over sooner or later? 
Well, I think the emphasis is on later. I don't think Vladimir Putin is going to uh, be giving up anytime soon. Unfortunately, especially after Joe Biden did not uh, follow through on delivering those MiG-29s to uh, the Ukrainians from Poland, I think uh, uh, Putin believes that uh, if he sticks to it and keeps up his barbaric behavior, he'll eventually have the U.S. and Europe back down. I think uh, Putin is mistaken, but I don't think uh, this is going to end uh, anytime soon unless you either have a collapse of the Russian army or the overthrow of Putin. We, we should keep feeding the Ukraine as many guns, as many uh, uh, anti-tank tank, uh, things as possible. And uh, I had General Keene on last week, uh, uh, Steve, and he can't believe how bad the Russian army is. What say you? It has uh, been an astonishingly bad performance, and it gets to the corruption in the Russian government. Uh, they have the kleptocrats at the top, the oligarchs, but also permeated it was in the military. Uh, you had the defense uh, minister with an $18 million mansion, others who were doing government contracts, getting uh, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in payoffs. And as somebody said, you can either be stealing or building a proper military. They're too busy stealing, and the corruption led to the rot in the Russian army. You know, Steve, I, I, I say that, uh, and I'm going to ask Gordon Chang, who's in the, uh, uh, in the studio with us, too. I, I think those generals lied to Putin. Putin didn't realize that they didn't have a capable army. What say you? I think that uh, the... Uh, uh, Putin, the generals told him what Putin wanted to hear. And unfortunately, Putin had isolated himself so much that he didn't have uh, contrary sources of information. Usually a smart leader, especially if he or she is a dictator, wants to make sure they're getting real information and not just toadies giving them uh, what the toadies think the boss wants. Gordon Chang, what do you think? What is really surprising, John, is that you have even Western intelligence agencies generally agreeing that Russian armor would overtake the Ukraine and exit within 15 days, 21 or so. And uh, this is far from over. That's not to say that Ukraine will win, but it is to say that a lot of people, including people in the United States, just got this entirely wrong. Steve Forbes, I think we can confidently say that if Russia were to take Ukraine, they can't certainly keep it. What do you think? No, they won't be able to keep it. But I think the Ukrainian forces have demonstrated that if properly armed and given what they need, as John said, both in the air and with anti-tank missiles and the like and anti-aircraft missiles, they could actually win this thing. The Russian army, I think, is at a breaking point, And that's why they're resorting to the bombardments of the cities. That's why you're hearing noises about using chemical weapons, especially chlorine. Uh, there, the, the Russian army did not have the fighting capabilities that it once had. Well, also, uh, what's happening? Uh, if, if Gordon, if the Chinese were going against the Russians on the Mongol- Mongolian front, I don't, I don't think the Russians have any troops there. No, they don't. Uh, matter of fact, the whole area is is sparse of people. The only people who are in the Russian Far East, there's about five to seven million Russians. The rest of them are Chinese um, because Chinese have crossed the border and they have started settling. And they start to think that this is part of China now, which, of course, Russia doesn't like. But Russia really at this point doesn't have an alternative because they do need people in the Russian Far East. 
and Russians don't want to go there. Is that like saying the, we're going to send you to Siberia? <laughs> yeah, and and, and, the, and the Chinese raise their hand and say yes, please. Uh, Steve, there's yeah, another so this issue, is, and this is one of the this is one of the crazy things. That even though Putin's got uh, six thousand nuclear weapons, uh, he is making Russia a vassal state, a subservient state to Beijing. And I don't think the Russian people are going to like that. My personal opinion, and you guys can challenge me, my personal opinion is Putin would rather be partners with the European community and America than being partners with the Chinese. That's got a funny way of showing it, John. No, but I I think nobody handled it. We didn't handle it right. We haven't handled anything right. That's the problem. There's no leadership here in America anymore. Any opinion on that, Gordon? Um, I think, yes, Putin is probably culturally closer to Europeans and to Americans. But right now, his view is uh, very close to Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler. And so it's a temporary uh, position. But nonetheless, it's very close right now between Moscow and Beijing. And I don't think the United States can really separate them now because they both identify the U.S. as their primary adversary. And in the case of China, they really view us as an enemy because they talk about people's war against America. That's a clear indication of what they think. Putin also shares that view. Yes. Steve Forbes, Putin, uh, the and, economy. And Putin thought, Raskin, Putin Raskin. thought that by taking Europe, by taking Ukraine, he could then use that as a base to bust up NATO and become the dominant power in Europe. Well, I mean, was Germany, Germany was good friends with him. Uh, Turkey is uh, good friends with him. Uh, what percentage of, between Turkey and Germany uh, is, is that of NATO? Well, I think uh, uh, Germany's decisively turned against Russia. It's amazing how Merkel, the previous chancellor, her reputation has fallen. She was a very great appeaser. She spoke Russian fluently, talked to Putin often. But her successor, who comes from the Socialist Party, is now uh, making a massive increase in spending. Public opinions turned very sharply. They suddenly realize. Uh, Russia is not their friend, and their uh, Putin, uh, I don't think, anticipated that Germany is now on a major rearmament program for the first time since the Cold War. Uh, first quarter, I think American corporations are going to make a ton of money because they're raising prices uh, like heck because they want to outpace uh, what the uh, inflation is. What say you, uh, Steve Forbes? Uh I think some of the profits are going to be good, but what you're also going to find, uh, not in the first quarter, then certainly in the second, it's nice when the revenues go up, but your costs are going up as well. Absolutely. And I think the margins will be shrinking. Steve Forbes, thank you for coming on, and thank you for uh, doing Great what you honor. do for thank America. You. And uh, Judge Weinberg, uh, Craig Eaton, uh, Gordon Chang, uh, thank you for being in the studio with us, and, and my sidekick. Stop kicking me. <laughs> uh, we got Lydia Serrani, and may I say, uh, God bless New York, God bless America, and we have prayers for the, for you, the Ukraine.